What have you got there, mate? Just a glass of wine. All right. How is it? It's all right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's not really delicious, like a pint from Beer 52. Well, it's a good job that this episode of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's number one beer club. With Beer 52, you'll receive a case of beer every month featuring craft beers from all over the world, including Belgium, California, New Zealand and more. As well as getting eight free beers, you'll also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment, as well as a couple of different snacks. Perfect for a night in, or an innocent picnic in the park. For the last time, it was a picnic. You couldn't see the snacks. We had two different types of snacks. Best of all, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time, so you don't need to worry about the ombudsman coming to get you if you want to take a break from your membership. So seriously, what are you waiting for? If you want to get started with a free case of beer, head to beer52.com forward slash peep to access your first case for free. Eight beers, Beer 52. Eight. That's insane. All you need to do is pay the £5.95 for postage. And don't worry if you're not a fan of dark beers, there is a light option available. So that's beer52.com forward slash peep to get your first Beer 52 case for free. Poor me. Poor me. Pour me another glass from Beer 52. Cheers. Hi, I'm Sam Bain and you're listening to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. Hello and welcome to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, a podcast all about discussing and reviewing the British sitcom Peep Show. My name's Tom Harrison and as always I'm joined by Rob Graham. Hello! So we've arrived at the midway point of Series 8. How are you doing Rob? Yeah I'm good. I mean the weather's the weather's turned this, this week hasn't it? We've gone from, from basking in the, the early May glory or the late April glory to it's rained almost non-stop where we are this week. It's been bloody horrible. <laughs> It has. It's been dreadful. It's been hailing like more than once as well for early May, which is pretty rough going. So yeah, hopefully that that improves. Well, I was watching the the football in um I think it was Manchester City versus Real Madrid, and it was snowing. It was snowing in Manchester in May. Yeah, absolutely crazy. It was like a yeah winter game, wasn't it? Good old Britain, eh? <laughs> okay, before we get too deep into the the episode, let's shout out our patrons. Yes, we have got 33 of you. We have got, in the Banditos tier, we have got Trisha Atenzia, Toby Irving, Steve Morano, Robert Horvath, Tim Chamberlain, uh, Nick Howard, Laurie Johnson, Joshua Herbertson, Jonathan Gardner, John Barker, Joel Johansson-Byberg, Isla Skokowska, Doug Simpson and Alex Watson. And then in our senior credit managers tier, we have got Stephen Darinchetti, Simon Darlington, Olivia Camus-Hoy, Nat Maxfield, Jessica Isler, Jason Martin, Eleanor Wall, Darren Friedrichs, Daniel Thompson, Benjamin Price, Andrew Mason. Um, and then in our, our, our sole member of the Bunged Up Brain Boxes tier, uh, we've got Dave Pink. In Project Zeus, we have got John Frazier, Isaac Marley Morgan, Dee Bizzle. And then in our exclusive Peep Show chat tier, we have got Mike Kavanagh, Michael Collins, John C. Ralston and Ash Krishna. Um, And I will just repeat what I said last week with the patrons that if you are interested, then join us at patreon.com forward slash podcast pharaohs. But if you are or have been an existing patron member and you're wondering why your name hasn't been read out, then do just go and check it 
on your Patreon account because we've had a few people who have disappeared off our list without it saying that you've cancelled your 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 patronage. Yeah, definitely. And if you've got any issues, then do get in touch with us. Drop us a DM or an email or something. And yeah, hopefully we can sort that out. But for now, we will get started with the synopsis for episode three of series eight then, which is called The Love Bunker. So when Dobby's ex-boyfriend Simon invites the group on a paintballing weekend, it's a declaration of war for her affections as Mark struggles to cope with yet another love rival. While the battle commences, Jeremy finds his first proper life coaching client and even makes his own potentially life-changing revelation. So, thoughts, discuss. I said last week, or might have been in, in episode one, that all of these episodes I almost feel like could be in any order in this series. I think they are all quite good standalone episodes. I know we're progressing towards... Um, the the talking at the end of, of this series, but I feel like any of these episodes could have gone in any particular order. But I think this is a really interesting episode. We actually see Jeremy having a go at doing some of this life coaching and basically making an absolute hash of it. Like, I don't know whether I was expecting him to get one successful client before he, before he falls apart and ends up basically ruining some guy's marriage. Um, but the way he does this is just he does it with such like like authenticity and the way he's talking to to neil is just so like comes across as so like neil buys into it and then it's just gone to absolute shit for him by the end of the episode um and of course we we have the mark the mark storyline as always in his his ever-growing uh, doubts as to whether Dobby might be the one and still still pursuing it to its to its glorious end. I think it's a good episode. Like it's not it's not a standout episode in this series, but I think it's a it's a really good one. Mm, yep, I agree. I think yeah, part of that is the fact that we whisked away for this paintballing weekend, which we've not really had anything quite like that in Peep Show before in terms of like a physical kind of activity type thing that kind of dominates the episode which is quite interesting seeing mark on the battlefield for someone who talks so much about war and you know famous battles through the ages and things to actually put him in that kind of environment is kind of fascinating and funny to watch but i definitely agree on yeah jeremy seeing him with his first proper life coaching um client patient whatever you want to call it is it is an interesting one i think I think we never really expected much from Jeremy um, in his new career, but the way that he just kind of breaks all the rules <laughs> immediately in terms of like confidentiality and stuff like that, which we'll obviously get into, is um, it was it was still pretty. It, although it wasn't surprising, it was still pretty shocking. Just like how blasé he was about the entire thing for someone who had just said, you know, I'm only going to do one unethical thing which we'd obviously touched on uh, last episode, like, it, it's just instant. The the selfishness, the unprofessionalism, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. And I don't think we really expected any less or any more, whichever way around it is. I don't think we really expected him to be the most ethical person. And we talked about where this trajectory of his life coaching goes. But even so, to to ruin this guy's life effectively by giving him bad advice and then to basically tell his best mate's ex-girlfriend all about it with absolutely no sort of 
like he doesn't he doesn't just tell Dobby a little bit about Neil's problems. He fully like t- goes into details that we hadn't been told. Like we didn't know some of the stuff that he then goes on to reveal to Dobby. Yeah, shocking behaviour. Absolutely shocking. Okay, uh, well, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, let, let's make a start on the episode. So we start the episode with Mark, Jeremy and Dobby at the flat, and Mark is stressing about a seating plan for what turns out to be their first sort of social engagement as a, as a couple, Mark and Dobby, and the first thing they're hosting together. And he's kind of suggesting where everyone can sit. And perhaps unsurprisingly, Simon, Dobby's ex, is marked like across the room from everyone else, presumably as far away as possible from where Dobby would be sitting. Yeah, and and Jeremy and Dobby both completely highlight straight away to Mark how mental he sounds that he's putting this seating plan together for, for a party. Like... The only times you find a seating plan are occasionally if you go to like a conference for work and then if you have like in 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 a school where you have like particular lessons and you sit next to particular people, you don't have a seating plan basically anywhere else in life. No, this definitely seems like a tactical thing from Mark to be like, he's clearly suspicious of Simon and it's like, how can I, you know, how can I keep them away from each other? How can I restrict him in, in any way possible when a seating plan is kind of it's not that surprising coming from mark so it's, it's kind of a clever way to use his personality as a as a sort of weapon as it were um but yeah dobby and chairs are just looking at him like quizzical looks and dobby tells him to take a, a chill pill from his frankly inadequate supply which i thought was a, a nice a nice line from dobby um but Dobby then reveals that she's actually been invited away with Simon for his 30th birthday, which kind of terrifies Mark initially, um, but his his fears are slightly calmed when uh, he finds out that actually it's, it's the whole of the uh, the new startup group um, that are going. Mark is permanently uptight. Like, Mark is permanently worried about, like, things going to shit for him, even though this relationship is gradually going to shit for him. Um... There's nothing at this stage, and obviously it changes as we go through this episode, there's nothing in this point where Simon has given us any idea that he is still interested in Dobby. Obviously by the end of this episode we we know that he's been sort of trying to worm his way back in. But at this point, Mark's just being paranoid for, for with no justification particularly. Mm, I think it's just the fact that yeah, he's sort of <laughs> by default won his battle with Gerard after his untimely demise but i think it's the the fact that yeah he's got another love rival so quickly afterwards has just kind of thrown him for a loop and yeah we know how mark reacts to those sorts of things so yeah perhaps unsurprising that um he's extra paranoid as you say but um out of nowhere jez then reveals that superhands has got um got them a website and he says that it's totally empty and blank for them to do kind of whatever they want with it and I, I just think that Jeremy's lack of technical know-how is astonishing. For someone who wants to break into music or, like, the new media, like, he, 
he knows shockingly little about how any of it works. And like this isn't the first time. It's he talks about when they were getting potentially signed by Universal, saying like, "Oh, see, I told you that you know the internet was going to be big." And I know this show, you know, is <laughs> quite like ten years plus old or whatever, but it's just. Uh, it amazes me how little Jeremy seems to know. He's kind of like a granddad in terms of technical know-how. I didn't really take it as that, though. I, I thought of it more as, like, he knows what a website is. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's more like he sees that this is, like, the, the solution to all their problems. But why have they got a website? Like, they've just burnt the band. Like, why are they now getting a website? Is the band now starting back up, like, two episodes after Hans sacked it all off like why are they now going back into this yeah well jez he's he he just says that it's blank and he, just, he then just throws that kind of buzzword he's just like business creative whatever and it's like yeah whatever like what do you mean yeah you've burnt the band you've not really got anything else going on you've kind of taken this other path to become a life coach are you going to make your website about that but you wouldn't do that with hands so yeah it's it's surprising that they've They've only now they've taken this step that would actually have been very beneficial for them if they'd done it, you know, five years ago. So yeah, the the timing definitely seems odd. But I just thought that Jez just doesn't seem to know how anything works for someone who's so interested apparently in becoming a music star. Like music was, you know, well on its way to being, you know, it was all digital now. You need to be on the web and know how it all works. So even as a, you know, going into his life coaching, like. You'd want a website and things for that. You'd, you'd want to be setting that sort of stuff up. But he doesn't seem to know anything. And like later when they get their YouTube video and Hans is like, oh, we can't change the name because like the internet's run out of space. And it's just like... That. <laughs> and he just believes it. He just, he just seems to know nothing. But also, like, this is 2012. Like, this is... We're in the Facebook and Twitter era there. Now, obviously, this is a fictional show. We're not we're not getting into like the the nitty gritty of whether they'd have had social media and whatever. But like, surely, as a band in the the mid to late two thousands, like their band should have been all over SoundCloud. Should have been all over like um, mm. what was that? What was that awful one that we had? Yes, MySpace. <laughs> that was it. Um, like they would definitely have been picked up by some sort of like grungy place to. Like, they must have had some sort of success on there. Um, so, yeah, it, it is strange that Jez has such little sort of knowledge about it. Um, but Mark's not interested, like, because Jeremy basically offers him. He's like, yeah, he's wangled us the website for us to do stuff on. Um, totally blank. Big opportunity. You in? And I think Jez is just trying to play this, I'm the big businessman now. Like, I've got an opportunity. You're just working in a bathroom showroom. I've now got a website. Like this is this is the solution to all my problems, and Mark just says, "I guess that would be an exciting opportunity if it was the last website ever." <laughs> so we fast forward from there to the evening of their sort of social um, engagement, their, their first one as a couple. Mark seems to be pretty happy with how it's going, um, despite this. And I noticed immediately that the seating plan was not being followed at all. Simon was sat on the sofa. Um, with Neil and Jez and Dobby and Trisha on the floor, Mark's in sort of his chair, um, and Mark is thinking to himself about how it's all going. Finally, the use of Jeremy and Hans becomes clear. They're my normality cloaks, allowing me to slip into human society and wreak my evil doings, slash make friends and relax. Nice place, Mark. So many biscuits. Is this a normal night for you? Yeah, 
hope, yeah, me and my guys and our cannabis. N no, thanks. I'm full. You're full? I, I never stone alone. I'm just high on pie. <sighs> what? Bad to worse, I'm speaking in verse, saying a rhyme ain't a crime. If if I can say it to you, it must be true. Am I sort of rapping? Yeah, and that's that's Mark's MO, isn't it? Like just doing doing everything uncomfortably, but giving off the pretense. It's like when he has the party and it's like, I'm having a good time. I mean I'm not, but it's like I am. That's just Mark's mm. absolute um <laughs> like that's Mark's like epitaph, isn't it? Um and Simon yeah. is Simon's being cordial and we talked last week about the fact that Simon is quite a pleasant bloke to Mark. Like, he never does anything to be particularly horrible. He's a bit sort of sarcastic here when he says um he he's like so many biscuits, Mark. <laughs> is this a normal night? Um, <laughs> and and Mark's squirming under the, the pressure of the question. He's just like, Yeah, me, my guys and our cannabis. I'm like, who is Mark claiming are his guys there though? Because like the the only people that seem to be there are people that Dobby has invited. Yeah, I just assumed he was referring to Jez and Hans, to be honest, who he refers to as as his normality cloaks. Um but yeah, he he's the way you saying that he squirmed through this conversation, you're right, he just stumbles around all over the place until he ends up as he calls it, sort of rapping, as he ends up speaking in verse, and it's all just very cringy. And Simon, you know, he's just trying to engage with Mark, a bit of chit-chat like normal human beings do at social events, but Mark just cracks immediately. Yeah, and I think, like, Mark squirms because the sort of, as the conversation goes on, it obviously goes on to drugs and, and Simon's trying to offer him a bit of his joint. And... I'm like, Mark's been around drugs before. Like, it's not like Mark's first time, A, of smoking weed, but also, like, being able to have a conversation around people who are smoking weed or, or taking other drugs. And it just is so cringeworthy when he's like, I never stone alone, I'm just high on pie. And Simon's face is just like, okay, you could just say no. Like, you, you don't need to, like, <laughs> don't be weird about it. Yeah, cause I don't know who he's trying to impress because Dobby knows that he's not a drug taker and that should be really kind of the only opinion he really cares about, whereas he cares what Simon thinks about him. So the fact that he's saying, like, no thanks, I'm full, it's like, you can just say, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I remember watching this at the time when I was, so I was at uni and the guys that I lived with all used to sort of partake in a bit of recreational drugs and I remember them being like, they would always be like, Rob, do you want to, do you want to smoke, do you want to, whatever. And I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just saying no. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna be like, oh no, well I had such a big night last night, lad. Do you know what I'm like? I was just like, I don't do drugs, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, so we need to say. Um, but on the sofa, Jez is chatting to Neil, who isn't in a good, uh, in a good place, and. Um, Jeremy kind of getting the sense of where Neil was at. He starts running a bit of his uh, life coaching game on him, trying to drum up some business for himself. Um, and yeah, Neil, of course, is going to become quite a quite a prominent character, actually, kind of out of nowhere. He becomes very important in this episode. But for now, we sort of just, you know, Jeremy's running a bit of chat. Um, and we jump back to Simon, who invites the rest of them to his 30th. There's a quarter there. If you weigh it, it will appear to come in light because it's helium weed. Tell you what, Hans, Jez, you should come to my 30th. And you, Mark, paintball till we drop and then smoke till we pop. Wicked. Cool. 
Great. Ugh, paintballing weekend. It's so obvious he fancies Dobby. He's just using it as cover. But he won't be expecting how incredibly taciturn and deflating I can be in social situations. The fun stops here, my friend. You mentioned earlier that like, Simon just seems like a nice guy at the moment. He's like he's just making a bit of effort to kind of get to know Mark and you know, while later he kind of reveals his, you know, true motives, but for now there's not a huge amount of reason that like, to say that it's so obvious he fancies Dobby I think might be a bit premature um, but maybe Mark's just so clued in as someone who kind of plays these games maybe he just knows better than we do and also like we're only seeing a snippet of their life like I know again it's fictional like we're only seeing a snippet of this we don't know like how many texts Dobby's getting from him all these little things that he might be doing we're just seeing mm. these sort of 30 second clips of him being fairly fairly nice and fairly cordial. One thing I just wanted to touch on was that I love the fact that Simon invites Hans and Jez first and then is almost like as an afterthought. And you, Mark. Like, he's like, I'll invite the cool guys the yeah. ones <laughs> sitting here smoking weed and then adds Mark on like, oh, I've invited literally everybody else in the room. I've kind of got to ask Mark. Yes, that's a, that's a good point because I was thinking like, it would... It would be strange to invite Mark to the weekend away if his plan was to try it on with Dobby. Like, you would think, avoid that hurdle of Mark. Like, that kind of made me... I mean, obviously, I know what's going to happen next, uh, having watched it a bunch of times. But at the time, you're thinking, like, if he really wants to crack on with Dobby, why would he invite Mark? Like, that's kind of eased my suspicions of him there. But, um... Yeah, I think I think perhaps you're right because it, we later find out that as well that he only invited Hans because um, he thought that he would bring weed to the, the birthday party, um, which turns out to be a bit of a dud. But um, I guess Simon's kind of playing the yeah the long game bit of Gerard tactics have come across as the kind of chilled out kind of very respectful nice guy, uh, and then yeah when he finds his opening he's going to strike. Yeah, I mean. We have to give, like, I think we're very quick, or I'm very quick on here, to be quite negative about some of the characters quite quickly. And we can get to Simon later on and say he does... He's maybe a bit forward with Dobby, considering the fact that she's got a boyfriend. But at this point, I don't I don't really have anything bad to say about him. No, it's only when they get away, I think, then Simon kind of goes on the offensive, as it were, and he really he does make it really quite obvious then, which is strange that, yeah, he's gone to the, the point of inviting Mark to then just actively steal try and steal his girlfriend away from him is kind of bizarre, yeah. But we, we move on, um, and uh, Neil is then, presumably the next day, a couple of days later, he's then round for a life coaching session with Jez, um, and Jez is wondering as they're, as they're sitting there chatting in his monologue Jez just says is is this okay the bed uh, is it a bit like at any moment I might jump on him and, and hump him better I could hump him I wonder if I'll hump many clients you think that is incredible <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> yeah the answer to that is definitely yes but I mean Jeremy you know, he's instantly drifting away in his monologue you know this is supposed to be his first client and he's not even listening to what he's saying you'd think Jeremy like at least try with the first one to kind of make any sort of effort before you screw it but he's already just yeah mind is away barely listening to any of his concerns and you're right this is taking place in Jeremy's room on the bed incredibly unprofessional he's got his fake certificate up on the wall but surrounded by 
pictures of um, there's a dog in sunglasses. There are sort of what are like band flyers or look like kind of just drawings or vague bits of artwork. I just think how can like how Neil can take him seriously at all is quite baffling. You would think he would walk into that room and be like. What the hell is this? No, he like he at least needs like a, a couch or something for them to sit on. Or at least do yeah. it in the front room. Like mm. the bedroom is just such a bizarre place. And I, I do wonder how much Neil is paying Jez for this. Because obviously when when Jez practices on Dobby, he doesn't obviously she doesn't pay him. But if he's now doing this as like his profession, then he must be getting paid for it. And I Googled how much a, a life coach makes. And it basically said anywhere between um, like thirty pounds an hour to two thousand pounds an hour, like <laughs> That's presu- mental. presumably depending on on who is who is doing it. Like if you're getting life coached by Jez, maybe it's like thirty quid, and maybe like if you're being life coached by like Bill Gates, maybe not Bill Gates at the moment. I can't imagine he's offering some <laughs> particularly insightful things at the moment. But like you might charge a lot more. But yeah, oh. Yeah, it's like, it's, I've just read here, it says most life coaches working with individuals charge between, it's not per hour, between $200 to £1,000 per month for a 30 to 60 minute call three or four times a month. Executive coaches charge more and typically work with their clients for two hours a month. Wow. Yeah, so just should be raking it in. If he could, yeah, if, perhaps if he knew that, he'd maybe put a bit more effort in. But yeah, he's already screwing up from literally the first moment. It's, it is unbelievable because Neil's trying to tell him about his dream of becoming a football coach. But, you know, this, that and the other are in the way. He's got a full-time job that he's trying to manage. And Jeremy's just, it's so simple to Jeremy. It's just like, well, if that's the obstacle, just get rid of it. Just quit your job. Like, don't worry about the uh, the repercussions. And in his monologue, when Jez is like, yeah, follow your dream, in his monologue, he then just goes, case closed, next. And you're like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> Like mate. he's some like, kind of miracle worker. <laughs> and almost thinking, God, if every case or every client I have is this easy, this is going to be a piece of piss. I'm going to make tons of money and not really have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Neil goes on to talk a bit more about, you know, various issues and things. He's got concerns and uh, he brings up his wife. And at that moment, kind of Jeremy actually then starts to really take notice because he it's it's almost like what gossip can Jeremy get? Because he's then trying to, you know, poke around, see what digging he can do into the relationship. And he even says, like, I wonder if I can get into the bedroom. And it's like, Jeremy, this is totally if you'd been listening to his problems properly, it was clearly about career stuff. And while Jez tries under the, the guise of like, oh, you know, everything's connected, which I guess in, you know, in part it is. But if we could just focus on the, you know, the main issue at hand <laughs> for the first session, like that would be great. But no, he just, he almost gets like tunnel vision for, especially at the moment Neil says that he had previously tried uh, like same sex experiences. Jeremy's just like, forget everything else. Like, this is all I want to know about now. This is great. I can ask him anything I want because I'm the professional and he's the worm in the science beaker. Go on. Well, look, I mean, I guess I can say I like to be dominated in the bedroom. Of course you do, you filthy bastard. There's no judgment here, Neil. I've also experimented with same-sex experiences. Ooh, tell me more. So, in the relationship, do you think you're getting really fulfilled? Alice has this medical condition which makes we don't need to go into that 
That's not part of it. Right. What is part of it? I'll tell you what's part of it. Now, tell me more about these gay feelings. They sound interesting. I mean, important. Jez's lack of training on actually doing therapy is is coming to the forefront because he doesn't know how to gradually, over a period of like three or four weeks or months or whatever, gradually deal with each issue. And ultimately, him picking at this thread of there being issues with the sexual side of the relationship are what then untangles the marriage. And that's why like she ends up leaving him, I, I'm guessing, because Neil goes and says all sorts of stuff that Jez has told him to say. Yeah, it's unbelievable how quickly <laughs> it degenerates. Because, um, yeah, Neil then mentions that he's been thinking about leaving his wife. And again, just like with the job, Jeremy just goes, yeah, just do it. Like, if you think sometimes that you might want to do something, you should do it. Like, that that's at the core of my philosophy. Just think, this is terrible advice. to <laughs> Just, like, to be so, like... It's almost like the Johnson mentality of just, like, swing the scythe. Like, it's remorseless swing. Yeah, and this is where him not having a philosophy or not having a a basis for his, for his coaching is just going to fall down because he's not had the proper training. He's done some sort of week-long course that hasn't really provided him with anything. He spent half the time chasing the 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 boss and then spent the other half of it shagging her and being told that he was a sexual pervert. And then he's got a made-up certificate. Like, he hasn't got the training. He hasn't taken the time to actually think, how am I going to approach clients? Am I going to basically say, do it, do it, do it, and be... Because I imagine there are some therapists that are a bit like Johnson and are probably slightly more like, maybe not quite as Darwinian as Johnson, but will be, go for it. And and quite forthright. And there'll be some of them who will just sort of slowly eke out your, your problems and not really give you any solutions, but then just sort of become a listening ear. Whereas Jez just goes through this and he's just basically, like, as Neil mentions things, it's a bit like a game of whack-a-mole. He literally, like... It pops up, Jeremy hits it back down. It's like, problem solved, problem solved, problem solved. Like, immediate solution. <laughs> We're not going to go into any level of analysis isn't perhaps quite the right word but we're not going to go into any sort of depth with any of your problems i'm just going to immediately solve it and when neil tries to bring in something about um, alice having a medical condition which is something to do with their problems in their sex life jeremy's like we don't need to go into that almost like oh gross i i don't really want to know that's gonna yeah he's, he's using it as some sort of like i don't know even know where he's, whether he's using it as some sort of like like turn on in a really bizarre sort of way or whether he's just being nosy. Yeah, I, I think he's just getting... He mentions how the fact that, you know, just because he's a life coach, he can basically ask him anything he wants. So he's just... He can exploit it to get, you know, just gossip, basically. Um, which you would think would be useless to him because he shouldn't be able to tell anyone. But fast forward through this episode and he doesn't seem to care about that. And he's going to get attention and interest from people out of it. So it's purely selfish. And I love how Jez finishes it off when he just says, Where am I going here? A relationship is a lot like a real ship. It needs to be moving forward. It needs to be properly maintained. Yes. Yeah. I get that. He gets that. I'm a life coach. If he if he gets it in that I've just made up on the spot, then I've succeeded. I'm, it always gives him the justification. Um... 
with without really having actually had to do any proper work. And he finishes off his conversation by just going, kiss my cheeks, Dr. Freud, I'm on fire. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, Jeremy's pretty good at just occasionally coming out with something that sounds vaguely intellectual, whether you buy into it or not. But a lot of people seem to do buy into his kind of pseudosciences. It's, um, yeah, it's Neil kind of then laps it up and that then seems to just swing him right back. I think Neil's quite sceptical about Jez's approach initially, but as soon as he uses a, a vaguely, you know, coherent metaphor, it's like, oh yeah, okay, he must know what he's on about then. But <laughs> we we then jump forward to Simon's birthday weekend and, you know, Jeremy's just told Neil, you know, leave your wife, leave your job, it'll all work out. And we see poor Neil kind of just sat on a little bean bag being consoled by Trish and it's clear that things have not gone very well at all when Jez is saying like that wasn't me like <laughs> I was on fire like <laughs> nothing bad could have happened from from what I'd said uh, as it turns out that Neil ha- has left his wife and, and Mark is having none of the fact that Jeremy's like it's nothing to do with me Mark's like you told him to leave her like this is completely your doing Mm, I know and when poor Neil then gets up and asks Jez like you know my head's in pieces like can we have a little quick chat like I I really think I've made a a huge mistake Jeremy then just like cuts him off he's just so cold just tells him like oh you know maybe next week book a session in I'm off the clock and even says like Neil's harshing his mellow and he needs to um he needs to like (laughs) he needs to just drop it well, he says park it. He literally it, says, yeah. park it, Neil. Save it till, I don't know, Wednesday. You're like, this guy is clearly in pieces. The whole I'm not suggesting that, that a therapist or a life coach should literally work 24 hours a day. But when you're directly in contact with the person, like physically in contact with the person who you have just given some really bad advice to, and they have clearly regretted making that decision then you've just got to bite the bullet and you've just got to like have the conversation and be like, not even say maybe I gave you bad advice, but continue on this line of bullshit which you're clearly going on, Jess. Like, you've you've dug yourself into this hole now. You've got to keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to maintain a sort of distance and a like a disconnect from your clients or patients, whatever you want to call them. But Jeremy is just... it. You know, he picks it up and drops it whenever he, it suits him because it's all well and good. Oh, yeah, come over and let me dig around in your sex life. But the moment anything, you know, any consequence comes about, he's running for the hills. And it's just, he's flat out cruel, I think. Well, that's just Jesse's whole, like, persona, isn't it? Like, I'm going to create a mess and then just distance myself from it. Um, but Simon, at the same time, is having a conversation with Hans where you touched on this earlier. Simon's like... So you've got nothing, no like no weed at all. And, and Hans just says, I'm not muffing the fucking drugs mule. And Simon says, why do you think I invited you? And, and Hans's reply, I think I've I've used this to describe myself when when in so many situations when someone's like, for my off-key remarks and, and crazy insights, um, like whenever my <laughs> wife goes, why did I marry you? And I'm like, for my off-key remarks and crazy insights, for my, for my wit and humour, <laughs> my dear. <laughs> So at that moment, uh, Simon gets them all together to play play a bit of a game of sort of like bands in the hat and pulling them out and kind of like um, like articulate, isn't it? Um, conveniently, Simon pairs himself with Dobby 
um, and Jez and Hans go together and Mark is left with <laughs> poor Neil. Uh, no one's a winner in that pairing. Um, and I love this because the Jeremy and Hans round is just... <laughs> it's like they are telepathic with each other because the clues are just pure nonsense, but to them, it's kind of like they're speaking their own language and they absolutely smash it. Go. Uh, widely acknowledged to have nicked our sound. The Chemical Brothers. Correct. Uh, bullshit as turning wank into cash. Flaming lips. Correct. Oh, arsehole. LCD sound system. Fakers. Pavement. Yep. Uh, oh, we thought we had a number when you got a bit overexcited, but uh, it turned out to be a not very funny joke. Lily Allen. Correct. <laughs> Phonies. Foo Fighters. Uh, oh, demanded the Ramsgate blowjob. Mumford and Sons. Mm. That's your lot. I'm so good at this, but I bet not one person here is going to give me a blowjob. And I was going to ask you about this. Have you ever played, obviously, I'm guessing you've played, like, Articulate in games like that? Yeah. So, like, when we play that with our family, like, I have certain clues that I can give to my wife and know that she will get it. Because I can be like, oh, that time that we saw such and such, and you'll be like, she'll be like, oh, yeah, brilliant, Coldplay. Like, she's so, we're so in tune yeah. with each other to be able to do it. And then people are always like, it's just not fair when you two go together. I'm like, and we always win. It's one of those games like Articulate, we will win every time because we are just so in tune with each other and how to give the the clues that will make us understand it. So this always reminds me of this. Whenever I see this scene, it's like, we can go, yeah, like the gave the Ramsgate blowjob. And he's like, oh, Mumford and Sons. Like, um, <laughs> like, no one else is going to understand that clue. No, yeah, they are just yeah in total sync. It's um, it's kind of wonderful to see. <laughs> Whereas then we get Mark's turn with poor Neil, and he is just thoroughly embarrassed. And I mean, we knew you know Mark's not down with the kids and with the latest music. I don't think we ever really see him listening to music. Um, and I personally kind of felt Mark's pain here because I would just be absolutely atrocious at this game. But Mark really shows himself up here and I don't know whether Simon kind of perhaps knew that you know Mark would perhaps be crap at this um and kind of uses it to his advantage I don't know whether there's something in that in it nah I wouldn't have thought so because what benefit does that have other than to make a mockery of him in front of Dobby but Dobby already knows that this isn't going to be Mark's sort of cup of tea like she knows Mark really well she knows he's not a a normalo like she knows that he's not going to be able to know who Elbow and the Chemical Brothers and all these sort of bands are. And some of the bands, like the ones that Jeremy and Hans do, are quite, not niche, but they're not like big mainstream bands like Pavement and uh, LCD Sound System and all of these sort of bands. Like, Mark has some slightly more mainstream ones and he does have some knowledge of bands. Like, he does come out with like Oasis, Rolling Stones, um, Snow Patrol. Like, he's got a, he's got a basic knowledge of of, of music I mean he's a bloke in his mid 30s in 2012 like I'd imagine he should know more than this um, and I am preparing myself for the fact that you're probably going to ask me some of these questions in the quiz at the end <laughs> Well, I, I just wondered slightly if perhaps, you know, Simon had used it a bit, you know, he, he partnered himself with Dobby because perhaps it's a, a little bit of a tactic of like, oh, look how in sync we are with our shared passion of music. And, you know, they're all high-fiving and all that. And then it's like, okay, now your turn, Mark. And then he just kind of, you know, metaphorically shits the bed. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, like, Mark doesn't know all this stuff that I do, but Simon does. 
and there's just a slight subconscious thing of like, yes, yeah, Simon perhaps has more in common with me. But do you think that Mark would have done better if he'd been with Dobby? Or with Jez? Oh, no, not at all. But I just, I thought it was a bit of a a clever and not very subtle pairing at all to kind of make that a bit more obvious to Dobby. And also the fact that at the beginning of the game, Simon refers to her as Miss Dob Dobbelina and then just goes, sorry, hun. I'm like, oh, mm. it's so cringy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Simon kind of becomes a bit of a wet blanket. Um, uh, Mark, in his head, has clearly been embarrassed in front of the whole group, um, and he's saying to himself, Next time we do a quiz, it'll be on Napoleon, and while you might scrape through a few Waterloo questions, when I pin you down on the Emperor's domestic reforms, I will fuck you very hard in the mouth. I do sort of <laughs> feel his pain of when you're like, when you're playing a game with a group of people who maybe like aren't your normal group of people that you play a game with, or like, Obviously, they all know a lot more about something than you do. I remember with my my in-laws, the first time I went over there for Christmas, they played, um, what's that word game? Boggle. And I was awful. Oh, yeah. I was absolutely awful. Like, I couldn't get anything more than like a three or four <laughs> letter word. And I got about four words. And I remember them all looking at me and being like, sorry, what? And I was like, I'm just not very good yeah. at word games. And they were like, oh. And it was almost that they, they weren't horrible about it at all. I just want that for the record. Like they weren't horrible, but it was that sort of look of like... <laughs> and I felt so like, oh, I'm really not very good at this. Like, <laughs> And so I do sort of like sympathise for Mark because is that just... Is that embarrassment? And if you're not used to being told you're not very good at something and then being around a group of people that really, really are then it probably is a little bit like soul destroying and and Mark's being embarrassed in front of a group of people who he already feels out of place with. Well that's it, yeah, he very much becomes the odd one out, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, in 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 a group with a wide range of people. Yeah, 100%. So next up, the next activity on the birthday weekend is the paintballing itself. When I woke up, Dobby was already having a coffee and a joint with Simon. I found some dope. My dope. I drove to Brighton at 7.30 to buy some half an ounce of hash for a blim of approval. God, I hate myself. You shouldn't hate yourself, man. Stop life coaching him, Jeremy. I'm not. Hey, guys. At last, military strategy. You're on my turf, music geeks. Uh, Mark, Jez and Hans are arriving slightly late because the teams have already been decided. Of course, Dobby is with Simon and not Mark. No shock there. And uh, to top it off, though, they have all the best guns, the equipment, they've got the grenades... And uh, Mark and Jez and Hans are essentially screwed because they get given these little pea shooters in comparison. Yeah, and, and their best solution is basically then just to sort of like hunker down and just basically hope for the best because like they've got grenades and they've got, um, I can't think what else they say they've got, but it's like when Dobby just says, sorry, I'm yellow, look out for the grenades. And Mark's like, I'm, I'm, happy, to, I'm happy to pay for some. And Simon just says, who are you going to pay? Like, the man. Um, and yeah, I feel a little bit sorry. And it's just, it just adds to the, the list of things that, that Mark um, is sort of being put down on. Like, he's had this game where he's been made to look shit by everybody. He's then got this paintballing thing where he's basically going to get absolutely pelted by Simon and his mates for a few hours. It's like... As much military strategy as, as Mark has, this isn't going to help him. 
No, and I think it's kind of like a, you know, a two-pronged attack where Simon has embarrassed Mark socially and now he's going to dominate him physically and it's just like another thing of, you know, if he can defeat him in all these different ways, then again, he's just looking good in front of Dobby. And yeah, poor old Mark is just left with, like you say, he, Mark is, he talks a lot about like battles and wars and he's read all of these things and I think he refers to like a Napoleon manoeuvre later on, but to... It's one thing to kind of know those things, but then to actually put them into practice in a, like a battle situation, I'm just not convinced at all that Mark would be able to, you know, create some sort of advantage. Oh yeah, 100%. There's no way that Mark's reading of tactics and strategy in war is going to have any bearing on a game of paintball. Like, honestly, like, it'd be slightly different maybe if he trained through the army and had gone off to war, but this isn't going to help him to be like any better than any of the other people are and it's just yeah like you said another thing for for mark to to feel to feel like he's 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 inadequate um and uh neil again accosts jeremy doesn't he and he just says like i've left 36 messages for alice and and jeremy again just sidesteps him and just says well great that's uh that's clearly all part of your process so well done all normal and good and then his monologue just goes possibly <laughs> it just walks off <laughs> yeah and neil was clearly in a much worse place even before and now he has a gun or at least you know a kind of gun which is yeah he's getting more and more unstable and now they're putting weapons in his hands so i'm sure that's gonna bode well um support for podcast secrets of the pharaohs is brought to you by manscaped the best in men's below the waist grooming Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. So, why do you need Manscaped's Lawnmower 4.0? Well, we've all got our own nightmare grooming stories about shaving our nether regions. Whether it's Nick's cuts and grazes or an unfortunate tale involving hair removal cream, it can seem like you're always a moment away from disaster. Not with the Lawnmower 4.0. After using it myself, it really does make a massive difference. It's quick, easy to use, and most importantly, I felt safe while using it. With the Lawnmower 4.0, Manscaped have engineered the ultimate groin trimmer, with their advanced skin-safe technology making you confident to shave your boys. So, if you're like Mark and are worried about your testicles looking abnormal, the Lawnmower 4.0 can give you the confidence to do something about it and make your balls feel like a million dollars. So go on, start shaving your testicles like it's the most natural thing in the world, and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PEEP. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. And so they they announced the beginning of the game, or as Trish and Simon refer to it as the death hunt. And uh, Simon, you know, calls for his yellows to, to move out. And uh, he literally clings to Dobby's arm and pulls her away from Mark as the, as the game begins. Yellow team, move out! Holding hands? That's not military. I'm pretty sure Rommel never held hands. Why does there have to be a death hunt, Mark? Why does war even exist? Why can't we all just have a game of footy, like how England beat Germany for the First World War? I don't know how to answer that, Jeremy. 
the the further we go through this, the more you get the impression then that like Simon is still pining for Dobby. Like I've given him the benefit of the doubt at the beginning, but then as more evidence comes through, it is very very clear. And it's weird because like with hindsight and having watched obviously all of the series, I sort of view Simon after this episode in the same way that I view like Gwyn and like and Matt Townsend, who I know people don't dislike as much as I do. <laughs> but like that sort of like because they are the alphas and the sort of even though Simon's not much of an alpha, he's more of an alpha than Mark is, like that sort of superiority that they they have over the main characters. I just sort of group those three all in together, even though they're all entirely different. Like Gwyn has like sexual dominance over Jeremy. Like Matt just has physical dominance over Mark, mm-hmm. and then Simon just has every bit of dominance over Mark. I shared it on social media this week, actually. A fun, a fun little thing. The obviously we talked in uh, business secrets of the Pharaohs about uh, what's her name, Trish, um, being Tara's sister from the Inbetweeners, and I, I do like the. This is, I mean, it's not a deliberate thing at all, but I like the fact that she, she hangs around with characters called Simon and Neil in both the Inbetweeners and, and in Peep Show. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I hadn't really made that connection. <laughs> so um, the the battle rages on. We we jump forward a little bit to part way through, and uh, Mark manages to bump into Superhands, who has found a bunker for them to hide in. I wonder if Simon found a bunker. I wonder if he's in there with Dobby. Oh God. Probably. War makes people horny. Yalta. Yalta was hardcore. Stalin and Roosevelt sandwich. Churchill sat on the side, wanking. Yeah? Can we hide with you? We're not hiding. We're in a holding pattern. Hmm. The lifeboat is getting overcrowded. Hi. Hi. Yes, it's more the merrier in the lifeboat. You can't have too many people in a lifeboat. That's what they never, ever, ever fucking say. And we can hear Simon's shouting things like, we're coming to paint you like dickheads or something. Um, And it's all getting a bit intimidating they form the kill squad later and so mark is resorting to cowering in a bunker um, with hands whereas we then cut to jeremy who has somehow managed to meet up with dobby despite them being on other teams um, and they're going for quite a nice peaceful stroll and the first thing i thought was i was surprised that dobby managed to get away from simon yeah and they seem to have almost like reach the back of their like by a by a, a stream towards the end of it aren't they like they're, they're like or a, or a lake like they've reached almost like the back of the um what do you call it like an arena what do you call the the space you go paintballing in like the the battleground yeah. um and they've reached the back of it and they're just yeah they're taking this lovely little stroll and i know that we shouldn't think that these two go well together but the further this conversation goes through you are like Dobby is Jeremy's one. I'm putting it out there. Dobby is Jeremy's one. It is interesting, yeah, because you're so focused on the, the battle between Mark and Simon that Jeremy kind of comes from nowhere. And yeah, the the longer that they talk, you think, hang on a minute. Yeah, like Jeremy and Dobby are kind of perhaps getting on better than any of the others. So yeah, that, that was quite a surprise because you're right, they, they seem like quite a natural fit. But... They're talking about Neil. They were forming a kill squad because of Alice. Kill squad. That's not a nice squad. Don't sweat it. Alice is a doom monger. Long term, Neil's going to be very happy he chucked her. That was my hunch because, you know, well, I'm bound by strict confidentiality, but I think it's okay to tell you because you know him a bit. Neil likes to get handcuffed and then pulled off with gloves on. Does he? Yeah. 
this is all confidential and I wouldn't be telling you unless it was interesting. That would be unprofessional. But she wouldn't wear the gloves even at Christmas. Bloody hell. Can you keep it a secret? I don't know. He sucked a guy off at college and thinks he might want to do it again. Shatter the confidentiality oath, if you want to call it that, or however you refer to it. And... Well, we were talking about this at the top of the episode, and like, while we can hardly say that we're surprised, it it's still, it's no excuse for it, really. And Jeremy just says, oh, well, like, I, I can tell you because you know him a bit. And it's like, <laughs> no, arguably that's even worse because she knows him, because then it becomes very real, you know, it can get back to Neil. But um, it's like I was saying earlier, Jeremy kind of uses it as, you know, like, it's a form of gossip, and he can use the the secrets that he finds out to kind of as like social leverage as it were he kind of then you know he lures dobby in and they're bonding over poor old neil and the thing is dobby doesn't even entice him to say anything initially like later on she says like i can keep a secret but jeremy says like it was my hunch well i'm bad by strict confidentiality but i think it's okay to tell you and then she doesn't go, go on, tell me, tell me, tell me. She hasn't really had to prod him very hard for him to just unravel. No, not at all. That's what I mean. He's like, he's kind of, you know, abusing his power to, you know, become more interesting. It's, yeah, it's terrible, really. And um, you just think his... What's funny later is that he tells her, oh, everything you tell me is in strict confidence. And, like, it's like, how can that be? Like, you've just demonstrated how that clearly isn't true. Um, but I'm jumping a bit forward, uh, a bit ahead of myself there. Um, so we, we head back to the bunker, the lifeboat. We've got these two sort of extras um, who have seemingly on, they're on their team. Uh, we can hear the kill squad just outside and Hans makes them draw matches um, to say, you know, a couple of us need to leave. How are we going to decide? And... They just bend the rules entirely to make sure that he and Mark are the ones that get to stay and the two extras have to go. And it's really unfair. I feel really bad for these two because they then get forced out and they just get lit up with paintballs. I do like the fact that Mark doesn't get shafted by Hans. This is probably one of the few times that Hans is actually him and Mark come together to fight a common... Not They're not common evil because they've done nothing wrong, but... I do like the fact that they, they sort of work together. These characters do actually have names, by the way. I looked at the script. They do have names. Charlie and Dina. Charlie and Dina. Well, shout out Charlie and Dina. What a pair. She looks like a uh, Dina. Their noble sacrifice as well as they leave and get shot. Um, so, yeah, they're out the lifeboat. The kill squad then just moves on. They they don't think to check the bunker, which seems like pretty poor you know, military tactics. Um, but that's fine because Hans and, and Mark are safe. And Hans is kind of starting to unravel a little bit here. He's talking about how the yellows like to mix a ball bearing into their paintball ammo, calls it the golden snitch. And we never really find out if this is true. I mis- I assume that it just came from, like, the deranged mind of the crackhead, who we later, you know, Mark wanders in on him doing drugs. And, I, I mean, surely there's no basis of truth for this. No, he gets hit by it at the end. Do does you not- really think he does? Uh, I've got no reason to doubt him. Really? <laughs> the guy that's just been snorting a load of drugs before, I would very much <laughs> doubt him. I'm not, I know, like, Simon's a bit of a shit, but to put, like, proper ammunition almost in is, like, 
I don't know. That's a real, like, an extra step. I love this whole interaction between the two of them, though, where Mark's like, the snitch. Golden snitch. Apparently the yellows like to mix it up a bit, chuck a ball bearing in the paintball part to make things interesting. A ball bearing? But that would... That would kill you. No, no. I mean, it'd go in you. It'd go in you? Yeah, it'd go in you a bit, wouldn't it? From one of those guns. A fucking ball bearing. Oh, God. Splat an eyeball. Take out your windpipe. Take a nut off like that. You'll be all right. Unless you get hit in a sensitive area. But I'm covered in sensitive areas. I can't see a single part of me that I would nominate to be smashed with a high-velocity ball bearing. And then Mark reveals that he needs a poo. <laughs> and um, so <laughs> Hans says, no, look, I may have gone for a piss in the corner, but you are definitely not doing a poo in the bunker. You need to leave and, and do it. So poor old Mark has to nip out and he has to resort. It's a little, a little squat in some bushes and uh, has to resort to wiping his ass with some of the pages from his um, biography of Napoleon. And um, what I found interesting was that we we get glimpses of Hans's point of view throughout this little yes. bit. And he's like actively trying to watch Mark go for his poo, which I just thought was so weird. <laughs> Somebody shared a picture like of this scene on on I think it must have been on Facebook the other day and they were like it's so weird hearing a character like Hans use the word poo like it's just it, it's just hilarious he says like a little bit of wee compared to a great big poo you're not pooing in this bunker if you poo in this bunker <laughs> I will shoot you but yeah I hadn't really ever clocked that until I watched this episode the other day that yeah who marked being watched by Hans <laughs> so weird um, so we go back to Jez and Dobby. Um, she gets a text from Simon inviting her to quote a party in his bunker, and Dobby saying like, "Oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this um, with you, Jez, and like all this man drama going on." But he tells her it's fine, and this is when he says, "You know, anything you tell me, it will be in strictest confidence," and you know sh- she believes him. So she, you know, goes on to get sort of life coached by Jez and. She's asking, she wants to know, she's clearly, she's been having these doubts about whether to move in with Mark for a while. And she's like, look, like, what's Mark like to live with? Well, I hate living with him, but I never want it to end. Why is that? Is it like the Stockholm syndrome where you want to go and live in Stockholm with a dick or something? That is quite a long wait. Is he a secret pedo or something? No, obviously, no. She's asking for it. She's begging for a life coaching. How are you feeling about moving in with him? Well... You know, Mark, he's brilliant. Sour and funny and cynical and anxious and screwed up. Keep going. But sometimes I wonder, is he enough fun? Right, yeah. Fun means good at sex. Everyone knows that. Basic life coaching. It's the shortcut. Everything is just like, there's no nuance to anything with Jeremy. It's just, he interprets everything as how he would interpret it. He doesn't ever put himself in other people's shoes, which is just makes, he's, just makes for a terrible life coach and also he's life coaching somebody way 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 too close to him to be able to like authentically and uh non-biasedly life coach them like he knows way too much about dobby he knows exactly what mark thinks he's got a vested interest in the result of this life coaching which is completely unethical yeah totally far too close to home like you say because yeah not only is he coaching dobby he's then having to reveal things about Mark, who's, you know, arguably his closest 
But also he's got a vested interest in it because he knows if Dobby doesn't move in with with Mark, then he doesn't have to move out. Very true. Yeah. So we skip forward to to Mark. He's just getting back into the bunker, and as he does so, uh, he's seeing hands snorting what I presume is speed um, off. Um, it's, it's not enough a key or something, isn't he? Um, and in his monologue, he says drugs. He'll probably start hallucinating. I'm a yellow or a sexy female hostage. I'm like, which would you rather, Mark? Which one would would you rather get shot or <laughs> sexually assaulted? Like, which one's going to be better? <laughs> Um, and and Hans seems to have been snorting it seems to have affected him really quickly like Mark's only been gone for like maximum about 10 minutes Um, and that's a long time to shit in the woods well Um, I think this is this is what I mean that I think Hans has been on it from the start because he becomes increasingly erratic I think the way he was talking about the golden snitch which perhaps we disagree on whether that is a real thing I personally don't I think that's just something his mind has invented but yeah, he becomes increasingly erratic as this scene plays out. Got an Ewok, mate. Full on fucking furball. Got hairy ears poking at me, noggin. Maybe not too much more speed. They think I'm a drugged up scumbag. They're all the same. The yellows, the Empire, we're 22 carat Ewok. Right. I should get one of them in here. Take a knife to him. You don't mean a real knife, you mean a paint knife? That's a paintbrush, Mark. I'm just talking Swiss Army. Cut one up. What do you say to that? I say, let's definitely not do that. Forget the knife. Just get one of them down on the floor, yeah? Strip him, paint his arsehole from point-blank range. What do you say? I'd say you've moved from attempted murder to violent sexual assault, which is probably technically moving in the, quote, right direction. How about we just surrender? Make my boxers into a makeshift white flag. March into their bunker with my boxers on a stick and say, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> Still living the boxers short dream, Mark. Hey, you need to get some ball support before your nuts start dragging like iron eggs in a pair of Grace and Perry's tights. <laughs> I don't have I don't have any analysis of that because I honestly don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's barely making any sense. There's a vague through through line of Star Wars references, and that's about it. And Mark is wondering to himself, like, hmm, locked in with a mad commanding officer. The only problem is if I shoot him, he won't actually die. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but then Mark then uses hands as, like, a sounding board. And he's like, do you think Simon's actually getting on with Dobbs in the bunker? Or is it just me being paranoid? You're like, you, and, I mean, he does acknowledge you straight after. But Hans just says, nah, mate, of course not. Nah, of course, of course you're not being uh, paranoid. Yeah, there's fucking yellow bellies, yellow fever, boning your bird, classic yellow. And Mark immediately acknowledges and just says, probably not the most reliable spirit level to test my paranoia again. <laughs> Which is completely accurate. Like, Hans, is, Hans isn't an accurate sounding board at the best of times, let alone when he's snorted about five keys of speed. Yeah, two increasingly like paranoid figures talking about their enemies is never going to end well. But Hans decides to sort of lock load and, and march out there. He's convinced he's going to go out there and, and kill some yellows. Whereas, you know, as it's getting increasingly violent on one end of the battlefield, we move back over to the other to Jez and, and Dobby and um, that this is where they're sat you know by the river it's all very calm and, and tranquil they're just having a bit of a chat a bit of a smoke together and uh, this is where we get the sort of our infamous I think the truth is basically I've been bored ever since 9-11 yeah I mean 
I was watching the news with Mark the other day, and he was, like, all up in my grill about the Euro. And I was like, ooh, the Italians might leave the Euro. Big wow. It's not exactly planes smashing into buildings, is it? Yeah, that was good news. Not good news, obviously, but good news. It was amazing news. You know, in terms of events and consequences, it was just huge news. Maybe I've been bored since 9-11. They set their standards too high with 9-11. The news. They can't top it. Yeah, and that has been used so much now for... It's so memed and it's so, like, edited to be like, oh, I've been bored ever since... Recently, it's been like, I've been bored ever since the European Super League or I've been bored ever since, like, the most recent lockdown and all this sort of stuff. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's just it's just a it's just a brilliant, almost throwaway line by by Jez, and you almost you can, it does resonate because you're like, good news is more interesting, even though this or not good news but like interesting news, like big news is more interesting. Like I'm not saying that nine eleven was good news before all our American listeners turn on me, like, but big interesting things that have happened are more interesting by their nature. Like, I do understand what they're both saying here. Yeah, well, I think it comes down to, basically, like, bad news sells, doesn't it? Like, and almost the, the worse, the better, in terms of getting attention, driving discussion, all of that. That's just been a common thing in journalism for ages. That's why, the, you know, the newspapers always seem doom and gloom, and you get a fluffy story. You used to get fluffy stories at the end of, like, news broadcasts, but that's just all gone now. There's no real, you know, light... <laughs> little fluffy stories that have like you know cat saved from tree or whatever that's all gone it's terrorists diseases strikes redundancies all of that and because that's it's what gets people as gets their attention so yeah in a, a strange a weird twisted way jeremy kind of has a point but he just doesn't put it brilliantly I suppose, Tom, that the news should just be a dispassionate list of all the good things that have happened all over the world, except it would take forever. Exactly, exactly that. Mark hit the nail on the head many, many series ago. But the the end of this exchange between Jez and Dobby comes with, you know, Jeremy comes to the realisation that he is in love with Dobby, um, and it comes even as a surprise to him. And... That is a game changer. And I agree, you touched on it a bit earlier about how Jez kind of comes out of nowhere and he's like, yeah, actually, maybe Jeremy and Dobby makes the most sense. But in terms of Jeremy being in love with Mark's girlfriend, like, I think like we've never been in quite this situation before. Like we talk about, you know, the worst things that Jeremy does. And while they may have perhaps slept with the same women, like Jez slept with Sophie, but they weren't together then, or they've chased the same women. I, I just think this is an entirely new level. Like Mark and Dobby are now established and Mark's gone through quite a lot to actually settle down with Dobby. And while it might not be perfect for Jeremy to then fall in love with her, is I mean you can't help really who you fall in love with, can you? Like at the end of the day, but this is the game has gone to a new level. Yeah, and when I watched this, I was thinking back to the other episodes, the other series, and I was thinking, what are the game changing moments? What are the real like trajectory changing points of Peep Show? You've got I think this is probably one of three or four things that happens in the whole run of the nine shows, nine series that really changes the angle of where the storylines then go i think you've got this i think you've got the arguably jlb going bust 
at the beginning of the previous series. Um, mm-hmm. You've got uh, Mark and Sophie, the wedding and the and the fallout from the, the wedding. wedding. I think like yeah. the, the the breakup of Mark and Sophie, and I'd say probably the the getting together of Mark and Sophie. I think those are your four really big storyline changing points of Peep Show. I think Jez falling in love or admitting that he's in love with Dobby, even in this episode, he only admits it to himself. It takes until the Quantocking episode for him to admit it to Mark. That's a game changer. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, it nearly it nearly destroys the friendship. And Jeremy kind of knows this. He's saying to himself, you know, this is bad. Like, I've done a lot of bad shit, but falling in love with her is the worst, or at least the most recent bad thing I've ever done. And I think Jeremy does try, at least, and kind of bury this. But over the course of the series, it's going to come, you know, it's going to be more and more prominent. And I, I do feel a bit for jez as well which perhaps may sound bad because you can't you can't help it if he loves dobby like these things just happen but it's the way he then goes about it which leaves a lot to be desired but i think that he hits the nail on the head and obviously we have to wait until the quantum episode for him to say it but he says like i know it's real love because i'm willing to sacrifice my best and oldest friendship for for this I mean, that's a potential, like, show-ender, really, isn't it? I mean, these two are at the core of the show. If they're no longer mates, what's the point? Which, I mean, we're, we're jumping forward, but it creates a, a very fascinating dynamic as we head into Series 9, because they're not mates. Yeah, and this and this was enough to, 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 to break them up. It, they obviously reconcile midway through Series 9, but it takes a, a lot of work on 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 both parts, and, and ultimately them realizing that they're better off together than they are apart. Um, but yeah, Jer- Jeremy at least acknowledges that at this point, this probably isn't a very good situation for him to be in. It's definitely worse than just kissing Sophie, which he also again acknowledges was was a bad move. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk at length, I'm sure, about the fallout of this, because you're right, it is one of those like seismic events in the show. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. But we head back to Hans and Mark. They're approaching, you know, they're about to launch their assault on the yellow bunker. Mark tries to use some of his kind of book reading to draw up a battle plan. Hans doesn't pay attention, just runs in blindly, screaming, <laughs> giving himself away. Um, Mark has to follow up and he he gets to the bunker where, you know, Simon's camped out. But we find out that, you know, I mean, we've known the whole time, but Mark clearly hasn't. He finds that Dobby's not there. Instead, it's just Simon, Trish and a, a very glum Neil kind of just sat miserable. Neil's clearly spiralling and he's kind of killing the entire mood of the party. And Simon tells Mark that... He's been trying to get Dobby to come and talk some sense into Neil, but that's not the sense we were getting. Dobby was saying that he was been texting her saying, oh yeah, come for a party in the bunker, which I think is... I want to stick my Dobbin in your noggin. Yeah, it's, yeah, Simon clearly for the bullshit. Yeah, I mean, that's not the, the grandest problem at the moment. I think they are, they are like... The... You're looking at Neil, like he's just basically sitting there rocking, like they can't talk to him. Like he's honestly is such a like can you imagine being on a on a a birthday weekend or like a stag do or something and one of the guys behaving like this? 
Mm. Well, I just, I just thought it was very, like, Simon's a pretty poor friend if he's like, oh, yeah, I was trying to get her to come to talk some sense into to Neil, when actually that wasn't the case at all. He was just trying to get her to come in so he could put his <laughs> dobbin in her noggin. Like, that's, yeah, pretty. We're, we're starting to learn Simon's actually, yeah, kind of a, a massive shit, just like all the others. Yeah. So Mark's he's relieved at least that to find that you know Dobby hasn't been camped out with Simon this whole time. But we get you know he's saying oh no humping brilliant just got to get her to stay faithful for another forty years, and then when we have basically you know very little compatibility, which is kind of the first real admission that Dobby isn't right for him. Yeah, and it's quite quick for Mark to acknowledge that. Like with the Sophie thing, it took him three series of chasing her, getting her, dating her, proposing to her to realise that eventually I'm I'm not in this. I don't I don't really love her. I don't think that we're gonna be able to make a life together. This has only really taken him in in proportion. It's only taken him about three or four episodes of of properly really being in a relationship with her where they're not messing around and having like him being a complete arse to her. Um, so yeah, th- I feel like this is then where the rest of the series then takes us of Mark realising that she's not right for him. Is she the best that he's going to get? <laughs> wow, what a way to put it. Yeah, I don't... I'm not sure if that truly right person is out there for for Mark or not. I mean, we've talked at length about that, whether it's Dobby, whether it's April, whether it's um, Sexy Stephanie from the business course. Um, I, I, I definitely think Mark is willing... I mean, he nearly went through with it with Sophie, so there's clearly an element where he's willing to settle, even if it's not actually, you know, perfect for him, because he just wants that conventional man, wife, two kids, semi-detached um, house in the country, in like the suburbs, maybe a little dog or something. He just wants that, doesn't he? Because that's, you know, quote, normal. Um, but Mark so doesn't fit that, that he's always fighting against that convention. Um, and Dobby doesn't really fit that convention either. I can't imagine Dobby being in a relationship like that. Um, no, that was exactly what I was about to say. I I literally was just thinking... Sophie met that completely. Dobby, I can't ever imagining, I, I can't ever imagine Dobby settling down and having this like boring sort of life that Mark seems to want. No, I, I agree. So yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's not going to work out, is it? I don't think. I mean, well, and ultimately we know it doesn't. Well, yeah, of course, but but Dobby also had gone from being the sort that would want to stay in and watch DVD box sets. And now after, you know, Gerard's death, she's now kind of changing things up. She's packed her job in for a new exciting startup. She, she, we're going to find she wants to go into railing, all of these little things. And she's really kind of, she's now wanting to really start and almost kind of, you know, do her student years and like early 20s stuff where you can be sort of young, carefree, whereas Mark's completely at the other end of that now. He's been through that, come out the other side. I mean, he barely did it when he was when he was that age, but now he's really wanting to just settle down, move in, you know, marriage, kids, whatever, super conventional, whereas Dobby is heading... Their trajectories are, are going the other way. Yeah, and the conversation that, that Dobby is then having with Jeremy as they're making their way back, 
at the same time that this conversation between Mark and Simon is happening just further emphasises that. Like, even though she says, I'll just move in with Mark and give it a go, like, sort of screw Simon, the way that she talks to Jeremy, and Jeremy's like, just, if it doesn't work out Mark moving with me, we're like, like, we'll do something like, oh, no, it won't work, we're, 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 we're too similar, Dobby says, and, and, and Dobby's like, we never get out of bed, and you just think, the fact that you're even considering this sort of stuff when you are talking to the best mate of the person that you're dating just shows the sort of position that you're in, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting exchange. There's that comment in particular that we'd never get out of bed. Almost, to me, like it almost implies that perhaps she's thought about Jeremy in that way, whether it was serious or not, like serious thinking. I don't know. That was just a... She came out with that pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That was That's what I mean. Like, it... The fact that those thoughts have even gone through your head. I mean, they've obviously gone through Jeremy's head because he then says, because we'll be doing it and doing it and doing it and then having a doobie and then doing it and watching TV and then maybe we'd have dinner and just fuck the world. And in his monologue, just says, easy, Romeo, lay up on the doing it. I love that. I love the, the reference to Romeo. Just unbelievable. He's just talking about doobies, watching TV, do it, do it, do it, dinner, do it. It's just <laughs> the furthest thing away from Romeo ever. <laughs> But it just shows that it's gone through Jeremy's mind. And yeah, that, that one line from Dobby, just it just makes you think like she's obviously maybe not considered it, but it's been it's been a thought in her head, which is maybe slightly worrying. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. But as they, they head back into the camp, she d- does decide, you know what, screw Simon. I'm going to I'm going to move in with Mark, which signals the end of, you know, Jez mo- uh, living with Mark. Um, but we end with hands getting shot at the arse. Ah! Ah, I've got the snitch! Ah, I'm taking the fucking snitch up the jacksie! Ah, this is bullshit, Mark. I want revenge. Dobbs! You're okay? Yeah, of course I am. It was her. It was her. The last yellow with the golden snitch. It wasn't me. We're out of the game. Yeah, this game ain't got no off-ramp, sister. No hands! Too close! Bullshit! No! Oh, Jez, fuck! Which I thought, great commitment from Jez there. Very selfless, actually. Well, he's not selfless, is it? Well, that's, yeah, I suppose it was, yeah, to, uh, to an end. But in terms of putting himself in harm's way, I feel like that's more than he would do for most people. Yeah, and I think you forget when they when they come back that Jeremy and Dobby haven't been on the same team. Like, because they've just been walking around together. And Han says, Jeremy, what the hell? Like... You're a secret yellow. Are you a double agent? And Jeremy in his monologue as he's writhing around on the floor just is like, yeah, I'm a double agent. I'm James Bond. I'm going to get some ointment rolled on, uh, rubbed on my swollen scrotum. And then just to add insult to indis- industry, just to add in- insult to injury, let's try that one again, um, Neil then comes out and just like punches him with, oh no, hits him with the gun, doesn't he? He smacks him in the face with the back of, the butt of the paintball gun. <laughs> Yeah, he just comes out charging him and screaming and then he just ditches the gun and runs off into the woods, like, just yelling. And, um, yeah, that then wraps up the, the episode. Yeah, Mark, Mark, as always, has the, the final line with his... This is Vietnam. Drugs, breakdown in military order. All we need now are the doors. The doors! Now I remember another band. Which I have to say is one of the, the weaker <laughs> sign-offs in Peep Show, but, um... It's, it still makes me laugh. Fancy a punt on the quizzy? Shit a bit of data out of that bunged up brain box. I'll do the buttons, do the answers. 
Okay, so we're going to head into the quiz for this week's episode then. Are you ready? I am. I've got a lot to live up to after your your strong showing last week. Yes. Well, let's see how you get on. So, number one. At the party at Mark's at the beginning, what sort of weed does Hans bring? Helium weed. Very good. Correct. Number two. You, you sort of sense this question. That, um... In the band, Bands in the Hat game, in Jeremy and Hans's round, there are eight bands named. I won't ask you to name them all, but if you can get half of them, so four, can you name four? I'm going to try and see if I can name all of them. Okay. Right, we've got Flaming Lips. LCD Sound System. Yeah. Mumford and Sons. Yeah. How many is that? Three. That's three. Um, Chemical Brothers. Yeah. So that's, that's the four. So I've got my point. That's, you got your point, but can you show off? Um, not the Beatles, because they were famously a four-piece. <laughs> um, Foo Fighters. Yeah, five. Um... Oh, who's the one? One of them is what? Oh, it's one of those like really generic, like twenty ten, female singers. What's her name? Oh, sorry, I've miscounted. There are only seven, so you, you're missing two. It's like, uh, it's not Paloma Faith. Lily Allen. Yeah, correct. So you're missing just one now. Oh my god. Um. No, no, I don't know. I can't get the last one. No? Okay, well, I'll give you your point. The, the one you were missing was Pavement. I honestly could not tell you a single song that Pavement have sung. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> no, but that was very impressive, though. You definitely earned your point. That was arguably easier than I thought what you were going to do was you were going to give me the clue and I had to give you what the band was, which I wouldn't... Would have had no chance of doing. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. Damn, I really should have thought of that. <laughs> okay, well, number three. Where does Hans go to get weed early in the morning before paintball? Oh, he goes... Does he go to Brighton? He does go to Brighton, correct. Three for three. Uh, when they're talking about the paintballing, how does Jeremy think that we won the Second World War? Oh... Um, oh, it's it's something, I can't remember the quote, but it's something about, like, play the Germans at footy, like, when we won the war. Yeah, game of footy, correct. Number five, according to Hans, what does war make people? Horny. Correct. Number six, what does Jez reveal about Neil to Dobby? Oh, I said So there are, like, earlier. two sort of secrets. Um, that he likes getting wanked off with somebody with gloves on. Yeah, there's a bit more than that. Oh, um... Hmm. He likes being handcuffed. Yeah, he likes to be handcuffed and pulled off with gloves on. Yes, that's one of them. And is the other bit the fact that he's experimented with same-sex relationships, that he had sex with a guy in college and he wants to do it again? Yeah, yeah, he sucked a guy off at college and he thinks he might want to do it again. Right, okay. Number seven, what drug is Hans snorting in the bunker? Speed. 
Correct. Number eight, how does Mark think they should surrender? Oh my God. Is it, is it something to do with taking off his underpants and putting them on a stick? Yeah, he wants to use his white boxes as a flag and wave it. Very good. Strong performance. Uh, number nine, how long has Jeremy been bored for? And I want a specific answer. He's been bored since 9-11. So that episode... Yeah. So you want to know how many years he's been bored for? Yeah, I want to know, yeah, how long has Jeremy been bored for? Well, this episode, I googled when this episode came out before I started recording, actually. So... 9-11 was September 2001, and this episode came out in December 2012. So it's 11 years and two yeah, months that, and 29 days. Years, that cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, 11 years, great. And finally, who's in the queue for Dobby? Mark. Is it Mark, Simon and Dead Joe? No, yeah, Mark... And Dead Gerard. Is there one more person? Mark, Simon, no. and Dead Gerard? Skunky P? answer is... It's Mark, Jeremy, then Dead Gerard, and then Simon. I didn't even so know that... people in the queue. I didn't even know that quote was, was in this episode. Yeah, it's said by Jeremy towards, towards the end. It's quite close to the end. Oh, fair enough. But you've still done very, very well there. You got nine out of ten, including a very, very strong uh, with the band question. So, yeah, strong performance. Well done. I just Googled pavement, actually, and I do not recognise a single one of their 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 band members. <laughs> and, in fact, on their Wikipedia entry, it does say they only briefly brushed the mainstream with their single Cut Your Hair in 1994. Well, as I said earlier, I would have been a tro- I would have been a firm mark in this situation. I'd have been awful. I'd barely heard of half of these groups, to be honest. I couldn't name any of their songs. A lot of so, them I've only named I, yeah, I because mark, of then. this episode, though. A lot of them I only know because I've watched Peep Show. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, okay, well, yeah, that brings us to the end of episode three of series eight then so thank you everyone as always for for listening if you enjoyed the show do leave us a review if you haven't already and subscribe to us here on your podcast listening app of choice and uh, you can join us next week for episode four of series eight which is called big mad andy and so after many series we're finally welcoming back everyone's favorite albeit slightly unstable handyman you know we haven't seen big mad andy since um series three isn't it so it's, this is a long time coming this return yeah we uh we interviewed liam noble who obviously plays big bad andy we 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 interviewed him over lockdown the first lockdown we interviewed him just after we interviewed robert webb and that seems like ages ago now. And I always forget the massive gap between um, series, series, is it, do you say it's series three that he's in the first time? Or series two? Yeah, he's in the streaming episode, isn't he? Yeah, series of course. Three. Um, and so, yeah, if you haven't mm. listened to that interview with him, actually, I'm, I'm sure most of you have. And I'm sure most of you have listened to our, our sort of our, our previous episodes but if you if you're only here for the for the David Mitchell and Robert Webb episodes and you haven't found our other guest ones, then uh, yeah, do go back and check out the one with Liam because it is brilliant. It's he's hilarious and and such a good down to earth guy who who remembers so much about what he did on Peep Show. Bear in mind he was only on it for like three episodes. 
yeah, shout out Liam, big uh, friend of the show, um, and he does his work with you know doing the peep show quizzes and things. He's yeah, top bloke. Um, and if you haven't, like Rob said, do go back and listen to that interview um, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to welcoming back Big Man Andy. It's a long time coming. So, yeah, that should be good next week. Um, how can people get in touch with us, Rob? They can find us on Twitter at Podcast Pharaohs, on Instagram at Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, on Facebook just by searching for Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. And if you want to send us a cheeky little email, it doesn't have to be cheeky, it can just be a, a normal, pleasant email, um, you can email us Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs at gmail.com. Very good. And that brings us to the end then. So once again, thank you very much everyone for listening. We will see you next week. And thank you for joining me, Rob. Boning your bird. Classic yellow. Yellow.